1: On Wednesdays, we usually would talk about upsets, but this Week 5 slate has more depth than the Pacific Ocean, so we got more game picks for you. We got A&M and Arkansas in Jerry World. Y'all, I've been to that stadium, and when they talk about it like it's a spaceship, it's because it legitimately is a spaceship when you walk into that stadium will be the stage for that game. The Deep South's oldest rivalry, Georgia and Auburn. Carson Beck, his first road test now in the SEC. What's that going to look like? How is he going to respond when Jordan Hare is just absolutely going crazy at 3.30 Eastern on CBS with that nice little theme we got going for the, the SEC on CBS. Also for Hugh Freeze, his first, I guess, or not first, but his real first home spot against an SEC opponent where there's going to be some bright lights. Like this game, can you imagine if Hugh Freeze beats Georgia, what that would do for the trajectory of that team? And for that whole Hugh Freeze era at Auburn? We'll talk about that. We'll give you our pick. We'll break it down. And then the game of the week, college game day is going to Durham, North Carolina for Notre Dame at Duke. So Notre Dame now, two different weeks. They have a college game day, but first college game day was obviously in South Bend and now they're going to Durham, North Carolina. So two big spots for Notre Dame. And I promise you when they opened the season and they looked at the schedule, I don't think the game at Duke was circled in the fashion that it was probably circled going into this week but we got a lot to break down it is wednesday september 27 2023 the last one in history you know what we say around here we're gonna make it a good one you only get so many fall saturdays only so many you only, you only get 12 for your team you gotta make them count so my advice would be let's cherish it let's not wish it away to week six or week seven if your team's on a bye week for florida state that's great enjoy the sony stadium kick them up enjoy watching all the games but i want to make sure we really relish every single moment we get this beautiful sport because it will not be that long until we are back on twitter talking about 100 some odd days till college football season don't 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 worry about when that's going to be here worry about this saturday enjoy this and enjoy today have a tremendous opportunity on this I guess, Prediction Wednesday now to, to soak up everything that college football has to offer. You got a lot on your plate, whether you're filling out expense reports, whether you're babysitting the kids, whether you're listening to this on podcast while you're working out, whatever you got on your plate, we appreciate you making us a part of it. And we appreciate y'all being a part of this college football community. This is the hard count. I'm J.D. Pakel. It's college football every single day, live Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And y'all are the most uh, important—the most important part of this whole operation. So we appreciate you being a part of it. All right. So can't waste too much more time before we get to all those predictions. We got to talk about the top 10 teams in the country as we see it. The nothing but ball poll after week four rounding into shape and if you follow me on instagram and and on twitter you've already seen my top 10 rankings as it pertains to this week but even so i want to make sure we kind of set the table because i understand a lot of y'all just found this show for college football season so welcome it's ball and only ball and that's how we rank these top 10 teams so you're going to hear a lot of people talk about resumes and you know different statistics that are baked into why they think these teams are top 10 in the country and i'm not saying we don't factor that in we absolutely do but at the end of the day like we're thinking about this from a football point of view we're not thinking about this from a computer's point of view or from a you know rankings point of view for what the ap thinks or what the coaches poll thinks. we appreciate those polls but this poll is protected from those polls if you catch my drift so without further ado let's jump right into it at number 10 you got utah and poor little old utah no one's really talking about them All they did was beat Florida week one, and they just beat a ranked team this past weekend against UCLA. They got Oregon State this Friday. Cam Rising now, we are all on Cam Rising watch. We've been on Cam Rising watch for the past couple of weeks, but it's starting to feel a little bit more serious as to he could be the starting quarterback relatively soon for Utah, if not this week. Whenever they get Cam Rising back, Utah is going to be extremely dangerous. I was doing radio the other day in Utah with a station in Utah I was physically in Nashville but was talking to Bill Riley does a great job over there and we we sort of aligned on this thought that Utah is this team that you just don't want to play in November like you'll let the other teams in the Pac-12 get the shine right now USC Oregon Washington they're being talked about and deservedly so but when it comes time for that Pac-12 title race to really take shape I think Utah, once again, will be a factor. And I think they're fine flying under the radar right now. I think they're just fine having everybody else get the headlines. And Utah just sort of chopping away at their schedule. And when it comes time for that Pac-12 title game to be played, I think they'll be a factor, or at least in that conversation, for who ends up playing in that game. So Utah for us at number 10 this week. At number nine, we got Washington. And I wish I could just talk about how elite I think Washington is because I think they're absolutely elite. Like I just said, their offense is the best in the country. They're scoring almost 50 points a game, 49.8, almost 600 yards of total offense a game. That's absolutely stupid. Michael Penix Jr., if they gave out the Heisman tomorrow, he would probably be, at least in New York City, if not winning the thing, like the the receiving core has more weapons than the military. Like They are so stacked on every single asset of that offense, especially in the pass game. And the reason why i say i wish i could just talk about how elite they are the pushback we're going to get is well why don't you have washington higher they've been so dominant they've scored so many points jd are you hating on washington no i'm not hating on washington i love washington uh, a pretty much a i guess not unknown fact but a fun fact i was born in the state of washington i was born in issaquah i love washington but for me my concern around washington is do they have more styles they can fight I love that you can throw the football. I love that you can score so many points a game, but what happens when you play a team that puts a lid on that pass game and forces you to play ugly? Can you win ugly? Your defense has left a little bit for me to be desired. They're allowing right around four yards of carry against pretty mediocre competition. So I love Washington. I don't think that they're a team that we're not going to talk about when it comes to this Pac-12 title conversation, but I'm just a little bit more wait-and-see mode in Washington. That's great. They're dominant. I'm all about that. I'll take it and I'll roll with it and I'll I'll put them in my top 10, but I'm not necessarily buying them as like a top five team just yet, in my opinion, from what I can see. Now at number eight, got Oregon. And Oregon to me made a statement this past weekend against Colorado. As Dan Lanning would say, Talked with their pads a little bit, and you love that if you're an Oregon fan. They're a very physical operation paired with Bo Nix, who's also in that Heisman conversation when it comes to what he's done at the quarterback position. And for me, what I said about Washington, I feel the opposite way about Oregon. I think they can win multiple ways. I think if you force them to just play ground and pound, they can do that. They're rushing for out right around 193, ga- uh, 193 yards a game. Uh, if you make them throw the football, Bo Nix. Troy Franklin, they got guys that can separate it and they can win that way as well. So for them, October 14th will be absolutely huge as they play Washington. We will learn a lot about them then. But for right now, based on what I've seen and the styles they can play, I like the Ducks and Dan Laning at number eight in our nothing but ball pull. At number seven, you got USC. I was tempted to drop USC past number seven. I dropped them from four all the way to seven. And I almost put them at eight because I thought Oregon was so impressive. USC I'm worried about the defense as is everybody else in the country but I was sort of on the front end saying hey USC's defense give it some time doesn't need to be in its final form just yet watch them trend upward and we were saying this after the San Jose State game after San Jose State a lot of people were like hey same old USC defense we didn't jump in on that but the thing that's concerning me now is it's been a few weeks now if you're USC and I'm not seeing the the upward trend just yet there's been some good things. Don't get it twisted, but I saw them get schemed up a, a bit against Arizona State, saw them get taken by surprise and had to make some in-game adjustments to end up winning that football game defensively. But I think as a whole, if, if you're USC, your, your hope still lies in what Caleb Williams does for you at quarterback, that offense is still going to score a ton of points. Caleb Williams is still the best player in college football. So for the defense, can we get to serviceable? I'm not saying they need to be elite. Can we get to serviceable? needs to be the case really this weekend against Colorado because they have some weapons that can hurt you Xavier Weaver not Xavier Worthy being one of them and uh yeah we're gonna learn a lot about we're gonna learn a lot about USC this week when they go to Boulder but for us number seven this week in our top 10 at number six we got Penn State they absolutely throttled Iowa offense gets a lot of headlines deservedly so Drew Aller he's a dude Haven't seen him look anything like a first-year starting quarterback just yet. We're going to learn a lot about them a little bit later in the season, especially late October when they go to Columbus, Ohio and play the Buckeyes. We'll find out about them. But for me, man, we talked a lot about Drew Aller and the way that he changes the view on Penn State and how they can probably play a little bit more of a track meet style of football if they need to, and I think that's still true. But for me, the more I've watched this Penn State football team, my hope against michigan and ohio state which is still the goal at penn state to beat those teams lies with the defense y'all this is a defense that's giving up single digit points a game this is a defense that i think is top 10 maybe top five in the country and so looking at ohio state looking at michigan yes the offense should do a little bit more for you in those games with drew aller now playing quarterback and that backfield being mature and the offensive line what you have up front there but i think the defense man the depth and the talent James Franklin told us about in the preseason is showing itself. And I think that's really what would excite me the most in those games against Ohio State and against Michigan a little bit later in the year. So they keep on handling business. They will keep on rising. But for us this week, they're at number six in the nothing but ball poll. and number five, Texas Longhorns. And I love this spot if I'm a Texas fan because I'm going to I'm gonna get to learn a lot about my football team this week. You play Kansas at home. A ranked Kansas team with a good quarterback in Jalen Daniels. And if you don't bring your A game, if you want to look ahead to that Oklahoma game next week in Red River, like you'll get beat. We're not predicting it. We're actually going to predict that game on tomorrow's show. So if you're watching this Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern, we're predicting this show. We're predicting that game on this show, rather. So tune in. Tremendous opportunity for us to learn more about their culture. We talk about it a lot. Culture, culture, culture. It's been the thing people talk about that Texas didn't have the last couple of years. I think it's what they do have this year. This will be a great stress test for them to take Kansas seriously, play their best game against Kansas, and then to look forward against Oklahoma and handle business when that game gets there. So for us, Texas at number five this week. At number four, the Ohio State Buckeyes, man huge win against Notre Dame on the road, last play, gritty, gritty performance from them. Only scored 17 points. If you told me going into the week, Ohio State, they're going to score 17 against Notre Dame, I'd say, well, how much did they lose by? Wasn't the case. Found a way to get it done on really the last play of the game. And this is a team that I think very obviously has a new edge to them. Ryan Day, what he said post game, like "That's that's not vintage Ryan Day. We don't see Ryan Day show that kind of emotion, that kind of fire. And to me, I saw a Ryan Day, who's just fed up with all the conversation around his football team. I think what Lou Holtz said was just the straw that broke the camel's back, because that had been bubbling up for a while, I would have to imagine, internally at Ohio State. Made a statement, beat a really good physical football team against Notre Dame, and Kyle McCord, the last drive by him, you would have to imagine, is just going to propel his confidence. And I'm curious to see if we don't see a different Kyle McCord now going down the stretch here for Ohio State. Because it's one thing to do it in practice. It's one thing to do it against Indiana. But to do it when the chips are stacked, two-minute drill to win the game on the road. Really good football team against Notre Dame. like That was, I think, the moment for Kyle McCord where you can look in the mirror and say, okay, everything I thought about myself, everything positive that I assumed I could do, I proved it. Not just to everyone else, but to myself and to my teammates. So for Kyle McCord, I think the, uh, the best... Football for him is ahead of him, and I think we look back at that game against Notre Dame and that drive against Notre Dame and say that was the turning point for number six. That was the moment where he arrived and where this Ohio State offense kind of took off. So Ohio State at number four for us this week. At number three, you got Michigan. Michigan is down a spot. Do not panic if you're a Michigan fan because the reality is for all these teams, if you keep winning football games, you're going to be right in the mix when it's time for the college football playoff. We know Michigan's season comes down to the game against Ohio State, the game against Penn State. Like, that's, that's a known thing. Michigan's curious to me in this spot because I think they're the team that we know both the most about and the least about. I say we know the most about them because we know this roster. Top five returning production. We say it pretty much every week because it's really the only thing we can point to that we know about Michigan. J.J. McCarthy, we know if he gets cooking, this offense is going to have a ton of options – him to throw the football to with colston loveland roman wilson he's been playing great and the backfield is a known commodity so if they're able to be multiple offensively they're going to be really really good again that's all in theory on paper that's what we know what we don't know is what we don't know because of what we've seen from them against pretty subpar competition like they've looked how they've pretty much been supposed to look with the exception of a couple of jj mccarthy interceptions but like you tell me what we're supposed to take away from this ECU, UNLV, Bowling Green, Rutgers. They're 4-0. They should be 4-0. They got Jim Harbaugh back now. I think that provides an edge for them and provides a little bit extra us against the world kind of feel for them. But we still just don't know a ton about them in practice. Now, I don't have any concerns about them. They're still a top four team for me, a top three team for me. But I'm excited to watch what they do in the back half of the schedule against more formidable competition, especially in the Big Ten. Now at number two, meteoric riser for us Florida State and we got to see Florida State in person in Death Valley and I didn't get really I didn't really get to uh, to talk to y'all a ton about this because we just got right into predictions but our experience in Death Valley was unreal I can say with confidence that was as loud a sporting environment I've ever been in like the, the student section at Clemson was 1 million percent engaged and they had a lot of reason to be engaged by the way that Clemson played in that football game. But we're talking about Florida State and Florida State did not play their best football game that day and still found a way to win, still found a way to snatch the crown from the ACC champs. I think Jordan Travis is one of the best quarterbacks in America that probably still doesn't get talked about enough. I think Keon Coleman is the best wide receiver in the country, not named Marvin Harrison Jr., and I think what Mike Novell has done there to this point deserves all the praise and all the credit in the world. The resume, again, this is not a resume rankings, but when you look at the resume for Florida State, just in a vacuum of this season, I think it's hard to put them anywhere outside the top three in my mind. And I, put, I have met two with wins against LSU convincingly and against Clemson on not their best day, on the road, noon kick, quarterback stinged up, found a way to get it done. So Florida State for us is number two and then nothing but ball pull this week And number one no surprise here dog still on top man we're going to learn a lot this week against Auburn we talked about what it means for Hugh Freeze and, and the spot for him with this being a massive game for them at home but for Georgia now Carson Beck's first real road test what do we learn about him how does he handle that spot because the knock on the Georgia offense if you have one to this point is well hey Carson Beck's got to cut it loose a little more they got to push the ball downfield a little more I think that's fair but it's one thing to say that against South Carolina at home that's not a knock on South Carolina we saw they have their own issues in the back end from that Mississippi State game but to do it on the road in a raucous environment I promise you Jordan will be going crazy how does he look how does he handle that that should tell us a lot about not this team as a whole. We're not going to find them from the Auburn game. But I think we do learn a lot about them and the direction and the progress of this Georgia team so far. But again, there's no reason for me to knock them down from what we've seen so far this year. And there's I, I couldn't in good conscience move Georgia down from number one. So Georgia's still number one. So to recap it for you, in our nothing but ball poll, heading into week five of the college football season, we have Utah at 10, Washington at nine. Oregon at eight, USC at seven. So a, a loaded, you got, you got four teams from the Pac-12 in our top 10. You got Penn State at six, Texas at five, Ohio State moving up to four after a big road win against Notre Dame, Michigan at three, Florida State at two, and the Dogs still at number one in the nothing but ball pull. Get at me on here on Twitter, on Instagram, and let me know who's in your top 10. What would you change? I know a lot of y'all feel strongly about Washington. I told you my take on them, but I want to hear from y'all because, again, y'all are the most important part of this show. So get at me on the socials. Get at me in the live chat. Get at me in the comment section. Let me know your top 10. We appreciate y'all in advance for that. All right, now, if you could like the video, we've got a nice little streak of, I think we're somewhere around 24, 25 shows in a row with over 100 likes before we get off the air. If you could like this video, little thumbs-up icon under the picture, we'll be well over that and we would appreciate y'all immensely for that. All right, let's keep on rolling now. It's prediction time. It is a prediction Wednesday. We don't get a ton of these, so we got to make them count. First game I want to talk about, Texas A&M. Six-and-a-half-point favorites against Arkansas in Jerry World. I've been in this stadium a couple of times. It is unlike any other sporting stadium I've I've ever been in. I've been in Staples Center, been in the Rose Bowl. I'm not saying that Jerry World is better. I'm just saying it's unlike anything else, and this will be the stage for this one, the Southwest Classic, 12 Eastern SEC Network. For a and now, there's already been some volume around Jimbo Fisher and what he's been after that Miami game. There was a, a fair amount of chatter. We talked about that game against Auburn, that the stakes were enormously high last week. If they had dropped that game, there would have been some unhappy campers in College Station. Even so, they got it done a loss I think in this spot in the same way would still be brutal because you won this game a season ago. You won this game last year. If you were to lose this game in the same spot against an Arkansas team that I don't think is as good as they were last year, I mean just just think about the optics of that. It would feel like a step backwards. Whether it is or not, regardless of how this game plays out, Regardless of who you have playing quarterback, it would feel like a step backwards, and you can't have steps backwards with where Jimbo Fisher is right now as the head coach at A&M and how well they've recruited. So going back to the quarterback position, Connor Wegman got dinged up against Auburn. For the sake of this conversation, I'm going to err on the side that it's going to be Max Johnson. Jimbo Fisher said Connor Wegman's day-to-day. Connor Regman could very well play in this game, but again, for the sake of this prediction, I'm going to go ahead and say it's Max Johnson. So we're going to proceed forward with that. For Arkansas, this could revitalize their season. They've been close but no cigar the last two tries. They had LSU on the ropes, lost by a field goal, lost to BYU. Like, Even though the offense has scored 31 in both those spots, the defense has had some issues. Now we got to figure it out if we're Arkansas, but a win like this in a spot like this, against the team that you lost to last year, this would kind of revitalize the Sam Pittman momentum and uh, get them back on track. So a big spot for Arkansas. Question in this game. Texas A&M's weapons against the Arkansas secondary. We've talked so much about who A&M has at the wide receiver position. Evan Stewart made a big-time touchdown catch against Auburn last week. There is no shortage of guys to throw the football to and I think that's going to be an enormous asset for Max Johnson should he end up being the guy again we're operating under that pretense Arkansas has shown they have issues defending the pass they picked off Jaden Daniels one time last week but even so Jaden Daniels was a guy that we we're talking about going into the season of like man can he push the ball vertical are they able to do that and he went nuts last week against this Arkansas defense so there's going to be plays to be made is what I want to make sure we say is that the difference maker for A&M I think it very well could be now the thing for Arkansas I don't think that you need to just win that matchup straight up in the back end. Like, I don't think it's realistic to say Arkansas secondary versus a and wide receivers. Arkansas, can you win that matchup? I don't think that's how you go about it if you're Arkansas. I think for Arkansas, you need to find a way to change that matchup. And the way that you change that matchup is you get to the quarterback. Arkansas now, very quietly, the best sack rate in the country at 14%. That means that 14% of the time, Arkansas is getting to the quarterback. That is ridiculous. Again, that's best in the country. So what that changes is if you're in the secondary for Arkansas, we don't need to be playing phenomenal for four seconds. The hope is we're back there for three, two and a half seconds trying to hold it down versus our man or whatever zone we're in. And by that point in time, our front seven, our rush, has gotten to Max Johnson or Connor Wegman, and made him uncomfortable, and forced him to throw off-platform, or forced him to make a bad decision, whatever it ends up being, but that would be the equalizer for you. So the responsibility then falls on that Texas AM offensive line. Can we hold it down for Max Johnson in this spot, and allow him to get comfortable, and deliver the football to our playmakers? Because I think the A&M playmakers are going to win that matchup. I feel pretty confident saying that, based on what Arkansas has shown, Do they have the time to get rid of the football? And do they have the time to deliver it to those playmakers and give them time to win? That's going to be crucial. Other part of this, how does Texas A&M handle the run game with K.J. Jefferson? We talk about mobile quarterbacks on here a lot. K.J. Jefferson is a different kind of mobile quarterback. That is a big human being coming downhill at you. I don't think he's looking to slide all that often. He's running with his shoulder pads, and he uses every square inch of those shoulder pads when you try and tackle him. So the quarterback run game at worst, is a a game plan breaker. Like the thing about a mobile quarterback, you you may have the exact right coverage drawn up, exact right blitz drawn up. But if the mobile quarterback is able to just break contain or maybe makes you miss on that blitz or whatever it ends up being, if he tucks it and runs, new play. Or he gets out of the pocket, looks downfield, new play. How does A&M deal with that? KJ Jefferson last year ran for over 100 yards in this game. So DJ Durkin and company, they got to figure it out now. At best for A&M, it's just annoying to scheme for. It's annoying to have to take another period during your practice away from something else you could be doing defensively. And you got to focus on, here's how we fit quarterback power. Here's how we fit the zone read. Here's how we're going to fit it when he breaks out of contain. And we got to make sure we plaster to wide receivers. Just another thing to work on, another thing you got to focus on if you're A&M defensively. And it could be a very big asset for Arkansas. Because I don't know that they have the playmakers they had a season ago. In fact, I do know they don't have the playmakers they had a season ago if you're Arkansas. But for K.J. Jefferson, if he gets rolling a little bit, now does a couple of things. Controls the game more for Arkansas. They're able to kind of play a little bit more. Well, yeah, I mean, game control. They control the tempo of the game and they kind of take their out of the football a little bit more and extend some drives with K.J. Jefferson, whether it's a quarterback design run or whether he tucks it and runs and picks up a third and seven with his legs. Also, more of the passing game is going to open up. Just by nature of the discipline you have to have defensively, either you have to commit more guys to try and stop KJ Jefferson in the run game because you're short a man. Because in the quarterback run game, design quarterback run game, you have ten guys blocking for one, and if it's a running back run, it's typically nine guys blocking for one. So in that way, you're, you're short a number is what I'm trying to tell you if you're a and m defensively in design quarterback runs. So you can kind of mess with that safety. And you can maybe have some more things open up in the run game if you do get going. Also, you got to be disciplined if he breaks contain. Like, we can't have a situation where exactly what LSU had. You had guys losing track of receivers when KJ Jefferson rolls out on a broken play. And wouldn't you know it, big touchdown pass for Arkansas that reignites their chances in that football game against LSU. Can't be the situation for A&M. Got to be disciplined. When he breaks contain, we got to plaster wide receivers. We got to make sure the guy that's spying KJ Jefferson is doing just that and staying disciplined. We can't have a big discombobulation fest if we're A&M's defense, all right? So that's crucial. Maybe the most important thing, though, if KJ Jefferson gets rolling with his legs against A&M, you know what that does for a, from a confidence standpoint for KJ Jefferson? You know how much you just start to feel like, okay, hey, they, they can't stop me in the run game. You kind of feel like that, uh, if you're a good shooter in basketball, that, that basket starts to look a little bit wider. Feel like you have a little bit more margin for error. Maybe you start uncorking a few more down the field. And a guy to watch for if they do get rolling in the quarterback run game, Andrew Armstrong, big body wide receiver, Played well against LSU. Had a touchdown catch called back actually against LSU. He is a one-on-one mismatch. If there's no safety help because you got to fill for KJ Jefferson, there's going to be good things happening for Arkansas in the pass game and likely because Andrew Armstrong is making plays. We've seen this A&M secondary have issues against Miami. Got to be locked down on the back end and got to be disciplined in the quarterback run game. So for A&M now, going back to their side of the football, I think it's going to be really important what they do early in the run game. And when I say that, again, this is the assumption that Max Johnson's probably playing quarterback, but also going back to the point that Bobby Petrino, everything he does is a game with the safeties, this power spread scheme. They're going to do a lot of pulling guard. They're going to make it look like it's power run pretty frequently, even when it's not. But early in the game, expect them to try and get downhill and establish the run against Arkansas. How does Arkansas play that? Just like what we said against KJ Jefferson in their run game. What do the safeties have to do? Do the safeties have to start triggering quickly on the run? Do they have to go help out against that power run scheme. Because if they do, and that starts to become a routine thing for them in the third and fourth quarter, don't be surprised if we see AM m little play action, Evan Stewart down the field, touchdown AM, good things are happening for the Aggies. That would not be a world you want to live in. Now, Arkansas defensively only allowing three yards a carry. So if they can hold up that that run game and they can kind of have some run stoppage early, as we like to say, well, then you put the game back on the quarterback and you're able to have a little more attention in the secondary. Because we talked about the secondary having issues, but if you're able to have obvious passing downs, well, okay, we, we give ourselves a better chance to be successful in that situation. We're not having to be off balanced and worry about, do our safeties need to fill, do they need to play back? Like Our safeties can be a little bit more conservative and be a little bit more comfortable, putting their heels right around 9, 10 yards, expecting pass, and playing their assignment. You just have to worry about less things if you feel like your front seven is taking care of the run game. So when it comes down to the, to the, uh, the result in this game, our pick in this game, man, I think Max Johnson, again, I'm, I'm assuming he's going to be the guy. With Connor Wegman day-to-day, I'm assuming he's the guy for this prediction. If he's not, it is what it is. But I think whoever plays quarterback in this game for AM plays well. I think that AM is going to be able to score points against this Arkansas defense. I mean, we've seen that to this point their last couple of games for Arkansas. I love KJ Jefferson. I'm concerned about the help he has with the playmakers. I love Andrew Armstrong, but I'm concerned about what they have on the outside to be able to separate consistently to allow them to keep pace with Arkansas, or allow them to keep pace with A&M. Last two games for Arkansas, the offense has scored 31, their own two. Got to find a way to do something defensively. At the end of the day, I think AM has too much firepower and I think that Arkansas doesn't have enough answers and I think that A&M wins this game. I think it's close. I think Arkansas covers, but I think the final score is Texas a 38, Arkansas 34. For Jimbo Fisher now, a little bit more of an exhale too for the people in College Station. Okay, good. Another test passed. Let's keep on rolling. You're not out of the woods yet, I don't think, but I do think you feel a lot more confident about the trajectory of this A&M football team. Especially if there's no Connor Wegman, if you were to win a game without your starting quarterback, Max Johnson won this game for you a season ago, it would feel like, okay, we kind of are getting our footing now. Now let's go make some noise in the SEC. So that'll be a great one. Again, that's 12 Eastern on the SEC network. And uh, that'll be uh, that'll be a good game to watch, man. I'm fired up for that. Hey, JD. Yes, sir. Uh, so uh, I can confirm
0: um, that Connor Wigman will not only miss Saturday, but he's out for the rest of the year. No. Uh, Foot injury. Uh, We tweeted that on on our main on three. uh, Jeez, man. He's done. How about it? Yeah. How about it? Max Johnson season, man. Golly. In fact, Max Johnson is trending four in the country right now on Twitter. So No
1: kidding. Okay, well, let's let's keep this clip then mm-hmm. in our game prediction so we can make sure the good people know. Uh, yeah. Good thing we assume Max Johnson's playing quarterback. For this yeah,
0: game. I know. I'm glad. The whole time I was like, yeah right. you're right. You should assume that.
1: All right. Well, hey, the Max Johnson era has, I guess, re-began in yes. College Station? It resumes. And he's, it resumes. That's a great way to say it. it resumes in College Station, and he will be your guy for you this coming Saturday against Arkansas. Here we go, man. That's that's that is crazy to go from day to day, to he's out for the year. Yeah, golly, it doesn't
0: happen often.
1: Heartbreaking, know. heartbreaking stuff for him. Hope he heals up and gets well soon. Absolutely crushing for Texas A and M, man. That is that is tough. There were such high expectations for him going into the year. Golly, you hate that for him. Absolutely hate that for him. All right, no easy way to transition from that. We hope he gets well soon, and hope that uh, Max Johnson does well in relief. We root for good things to happen to people on this show. Is that is that so, is that so counterintuitive? Is that so wrong that we want to see people be healthy and, and do good things on the football field? I don't think so. I don't think so. Also, we root for y'all to like the video and subscribe to the channel. We appreciate y'all in advance for that. All right, let's get right to it, man. The Deep South's oldest rivalry. You got Georgia going to Jordan-Hare. This is going to be an electric environment. Eastern on CBS, Georgia favored by 14.5 points. The line's been a little bit tricky now. Hasn't always been 14.5. I believe it opened at somewhere around 16, favoring Georgia, gone down to 14.5. I don't know what Vegas knows. I don't pretend to know what Vegas knows. I do know that we're going to have our gambling picks for you on my Instagram at JodyPickel. Don't know that we'll include this one. Regardless, we'll give you our pick in this one, as well as our pick against that number. But for Georgia, man, this is the kind of game where you handle business like that's what they're feeling like internally like you should have your undivided attention every single game on your opponent but now in this spot you had a slow start against UAB had a slow start against South Carolina now you're on the road in a rivalry atmosphere this is this is the game where you got to be dialed in I expect and hope for if you're a Georgia fan a quick start from the dogs and for Carson Beck this is the stress test for him we'll talk more about that in a little bit but this is his first real test on the road against an SEC opponent I cannot wait to see how he responds because there's been a lot of critics around what the offense hasn't done, even with how many points they've scored. There's been a little bit of criticism around him not pushing the ball downfield and the offense taking a while to get going and Mike Bobo this, Mike Bobo that. This will be a really good gauge for us with what they do against Auburn. Speaking of the gauge, this is a great gauge for where Auburn's at. I mean, for Auburn, this is the biggest home game of Hugh Freeze's early career at Auburn. And this is a great measuring stick for us with Auburn just from the eye test. I was talking to a good buddy of mine that's an Auburn fan this week and asked him how he feels about the game against Georgia. And we said, you know, feel not great about what I saw against Texas A&M, but we kind of landed on the same fact that, hey, Hugh Freeze is there for a reason. If Auburn was reeling off SEC championships, Hugh Freeze probably doesn't get hired to be your head coach. He's there trying to do a repair job. That's why they went to the transfer portal and brought in the guys that they did. So what I'm trying to say is for Auburn, obviously you want to win the football game. We're going to tell you who we think wins the football game here in just a second, but I think the key thing, if I'm an Auburn fan that I'm watching, is how do we look? How do we stack up? Hey, how far off are we if that's the gold standard in college football, as Hugh Freeze said? So, we'll see if they're off at all. I mean, we'll see if Auburn's able to find a way to get this thing done, but I think the spread in this one is what it is for a reason. Like, Georgia is double-digit favorites because they have the matchups and because of the way they've looked so far and because of what they've done the last couple of seasons, like, there's going to take a little bit of something extra for Auburn to be able to win this football game. So as we like to say on this one, uh, on, on these shows rather, uh, the non-negotiables for Auburn to have a chance in this football game are two things. One, we need easy execution scheme offensively. And that sounds counterintuitive because you think, hey, J.D., this is, hey, this is the game now. Like this is the empty the chamber kind of game for us if we're Auburn. We got two offensive masterminds in Hugh Freeze and Philip Montgomery. Like let, let's scheme it up here. Let's get fancy with it. I I hear that. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but I do think there needs to be something to fall back on if you're Auburn. Like that, like there needs to be some bread and butter before you go to the exotic trick play, dial it up, go deep kind of approach for Peyton Thorne. I need him to be comfortable in this game. And it may not be flashy, it may not be fun to watch, but like if all we have is quick game early, let's quick game Georgia to death. Let's give ourselves a chance on third down. Let's get to third and four, third and three. I don't know how I feel about them running the football against this operation for Georgia. I don't think that's probably the way you want to lean. I need easy execution offense for Peyton Thorne to get comfortable. Other thing, I need more possessions for Auburn. Sounds funny to say out loud, but I need more possessions for Auburn in this football game if they want to beat Georgia. Now, what does that look like? Could be turnovers. Hey, Carson Beck now, going to be a little bit loud in there. Can we make him rattled? Can we confuse him a little bit and force a turnover or two? Have to do it, or do we steal one in special teams? little fake punt action. little onside kick. Surprise onside. Start the first half, onside kick, boom. Let's go. Got a possession now. Got a little momentum. Need to touch the football more times than Georgia. There's no way around it for me. Has to happen. Going back to Carson Beck now. I'm very curious how he looks. I think the matchup is Carson Beck versus the attack mode approach of this Auburn defense. Because what we said about Auburn's offensive approach has to be easily executable, has, has to be in some way, shape, or form a little bit vanilla to watch. I don't think that's the case for the Auburn defense. For Auburn now, like, you're playing with house, with, with house money. The, the spread is what it is for a reason. you got a first-year head coach. Like, you don't leave any bullets in the chamber defensively if you're Auburn. I want the most exotic blitzes. I want the safeties rocking and rolling because you have a unique spot here against a quarterback making his first big time start on the road. Like this is, this, this is the one. I'm not saying this is his first road start. I'm saying this is his first big time start on the road for Carson Beck. For Beck now, it's easy to get discombobulated by the environment and by what Auburn's going to try and do with Ron Roberts as the DC and how aggressive they're going to be and the blitzes, like For him, it's got to be a thing of just easing into the football game. And as you ease into the football game, do not make the big mistake. Do not throw the pick six that sets us back 7-0 and now we're in chase mode and and his confidence is going down and, and we got issues. Can't be any of that. I don't think Georgia has any panic in them, but it has to be embodied by Carson Beck as he gets comfortable in this football game. May need to lean on the run game a little bit. It might be a thing where, hey, first drive, we're we're running it like 70% of the time. And that's how we're going to get down. And that's what we're going to do to kind of quiet the crowd down. And we're going to lean on that. We love our big boys up front. I think it's a matchup Georgia has. Like, I think that might be the way they have to get him comfortable into this football game. And then once those safeties kind of start rocking and rolling and get committed to the run game, then we dial it up. And then we start to try and stretch the field vertically if we're Carson Beck. But it cannot be a thing where you make that crucial mistake that sends the whole thing into a tailspin. For Carson Beck, he has to be in control of this football game. This will be a tremendous test for him. Obviously, physically, but I think psychologically is really what I'm watching for him. Under the hood, what does he do when things get a little bit intense? Because it will be intense in Jordan Hare. No way around it. It will be intense. If he does get rattled, if he does throw a pick, if he does make that mistake, how does he respond? What's the response most for Carson Beck? We're going to learn a lot about him in this game and I cannot wait to see it, the thing you fear if you're Georgia is that big mistake happens. Again, that's a big assumption that a big mistake happens if he makes that mistake. And then Georgia has issues where he's out of whack and they become one-dimensional. A lot of ifs, a lot of potentials, a lot of woulda, shoulda, coulda. So there's a lot of hypotheticals baked in here, but the spread is what it is for a reason. And this is Carson Beck uh, against this attack mode defensive Auburn that I think is going to ultimately determine a lot of the, the outcome of this game early. Now, the thing for Auburn, in my opinion, there has to be something mobile about this quarterback, whether it's Peyton Thorne, whether it's Robbie Ashford, against this Georgia defense. Because the Georgia defense, I think, just has every edge, quite frankly. I mean, you would hope someone can separate on the outside for you at the wide receiver position if you're Auburn. But I think for for Georgia, it's not a thing where you can just walk out there and say, we like this matchup, let's go attack it. I don't think that exists. And so what you got to do is have a game plan breaker gotta have Peyton Thorne have some wiggle gotta have Robbie Ashford have some wiggle I would not be surprised and this is not to knock Peyton Thorne this is just kind of the way the game I think could go would not be surprised if we see Robbie Ashford get handed the keys to this offense at some point during this football game I don't wish that upon Peyton Thorne I'm just curious because I saw the game against A&M and I felt like when Robbie Ashford was in the game Maybe it was a change of pace thing. Maybe it was A&M wasn't prepared for it thing, but it felt like the offense had a touch more direction with him running the football and with him operating that offense. We'll see if that holds true in this game, but you need to find some kind of edge. You need to have something that doesn't fit in the playbook for Georgia that you can take advantage of if you're Auburn. And make no mistake about it, your quarterback on a broken plate does not fit in the playbook. You can try and prepare for it. You can try and scheme up different solutions to it. But it's not a thing where you just expect your players to be ready for that it's very reactionary kind of scenario so for robbie ashford creating that could be a thing that takes advantage of this georgia defense and could generate some offense but the differentiator for me in this game and the disadvantage that i see for auburn is that line of scrimmage like the big boys up front for georgia you watch them on tape you watch auburn on tape and the push is just noticeable from georgia on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball and the thing for me is that may not be the differentiator in the first half but in the third and fourth quarter even if Carson Beck isn't putting together the best stat line let's say he's like 17 for 31 touchdown a pick like you can still go back to your offensive line and just say hey we're gonna pound the rock that's how we're getting out of here today that's how we're gonna go ahead and win this football game I think we see Auburn scheme it up to the max defensively I do think they throw the kitchen sink at Carson Beck. I think they get some kind of rhythm at some point in this game offensively that Georgia has to kind of put an end to. I think we see a little bit of a run here from Auburn at some point, even so though, I think the difference maker on top of the line of scrimmage for Georgia could be what they have from a playmaker standpoint. Brock Bauer is going to get a lot of attention. This is the game I think where we see Dominique Lovett really do some damage. And so I think Georgia wins this football game. I think they cover. I think the final score is 31-17 dogs. And I think what we see in this game, that the big takeaway for me, if Georgia finishes this game with that score or plays the way that I expect them to play, we kind of see this Georgia football team really start to take shape in 2023. We see them really kind of become who we have expected them to be. I don't know if it's a final product, but we see them look more and more like they're going to have to look when it comes to games in November to beat the Ole Misses and to beat the Tennessees. So for Auburn, we talked about it at the top. It's house money. You're gonna learn a lot about your team. You learn about how you stack up, but you don't overreact if you don't win the game against Georgia. And we already kind of already know that, but just want to make sure we got that out there in this prediction. Be a lot of fun though. Can't wait. Deep South's oldest rivalry about to go down this Saturday. Jordan Hairman is gonna be absolutely wild. Like the game atmosphere itself at kick, if there is a game you're showing up for. If you're an Auburn fan, that's the one. That's the one that you were dialed in for. I understand the Iron Bowl is a big deal. I get that, but I'm saying like this game right now to this point in the year, what it could mean for the trajectory. Think about if Auburn wins that game, what it would do for their recruiting. Would be absolutely massive. Absolutely massive. Appreciate everybody tuned in right now. If you could like the video and subscribe to the channel, would appreciate that enormously. We are a little bit under our goal of 100 likes per show. So if you could like the video, we will have... Everybody who's tuned in right now likes the video will be well over that goal of 100. So thank you in advance for that. And uh, we're going to keep on rolling here. Uh, Let's talk about another game here. Biggest game of the week, actually. And we did not anticipate it being the biggest game of the week when we first looked at the schedule and saw how things could maybe shake out. Notre Dame goes to Durham, North Carolina to play Duke. Y'all, Duke is undefeated. Duke is ranked. Notre Dame's the one with the loss, actually. Now, Notre Dame, to be fair, they just played Ohio State and they took them down to the wire Notre Dame's still favored by five and a half points. This is 7.30 Eastern on ABC. Notre Dame is now in playoff mode. They're in playoff mode. You hate the way that game ended against Ohio State. Had 10 men on the field. It hurts. Felt like you played well enough to win, but even so, another loss for Notre Dame would disqualify them from the college football playoff race. This is a game that you probably didn't expect to have the kind of hype that it does right now. Didn't expect to have college game day in back-to-back weeks, but you do if you're Notre Dame. Now, this one's in Durham, North Carolina. But even so, how do you bounce back? Because that one, I promise you, is just a heartbreaker. It's gut-wrenching. It knocks you down, takes the air out of you a little bit if you're Notre Dame. How do you respond? Because it's not a spot now where you get to kind of just roll out there and and eventually put it together in the second half. Like, this is going to be a thing where Duke is going to press you from the jump. They're going to be physical. They're going to play a brand of football that could give you issues. And they have nothing to lose, man. Like, I say they have nothing to lose in the sense that, again, nobody is probably going to pick Duke to win this football game. We'll see what happens when college game day picks this one, but, like, there's not going to be an overwhelming majority saying, yep, give me Duke over Notre Dame. Right? I mean, Duke is playing with house money in that sense, but also it's not an ACC game for them. Right? Like, this is not a game that's going to impact their ultimate goal of playing for an ACC title. So for them, it's like, cool, we got college game day in town you would imagine there's a pretty solid crowd that turns out in this game night game you got a quarterback that's in nfl draft talks right now like a top five guy in terms of quarterbacks that have come off the board this is house money for duke duke's saying all right let's ride baby and i cannot wait to watch this one matchup for me is notre dame's offensive physicality against what mike elko and tyler santucci scheme up tyler santucci the defensive coordinator for notre dame mike elko pretty well documented a defensive guy for duke to win this football game they need to push the responsibility on the notre dame pass catchers like they have shown that they can do it in spurts but i think they want to make sure that it's a thing where hey if we lose this football game it's not because you just ran the football on us at will because that's what notre dame wants to do now make no mistake about it they are a 57 percent run team like that's the uh balance I suppose and play calling for them 57% of the time uh 57% of the time they are running the football and Audrick Estime is a big reason why you run the football 57% of the time along with that offensive line Duke needs to get stops in the run game there's nothing novel about that there's nothing super analytical about that they need to find a way to get a better push up front because what I've seen so far from Duke and the reason why I factor in Mike Elko and Tyler Tyler Santucci into this matchup Duke has not looked phenomenal against the run They've allowed 200 yards rushing right around that against Clemson. Still find a way to win that football game. The key for Notre Dame against Duke is to live in third and short. Duke wants to force like third and seven, third and eight. If you can live in third and seven, third and eight, mission accomplished. We'll live with the result. Now, Sam Hartman probably still has a thing or two to say about that. And we'll talk about that here in a second. But this whole matchup comes down to negative plays on first and second down for this Duke defense. You can get a tackle for a loss on second down. Good thing is going to happen for your defense. Or at the very least, you're better prepared for your defense to be set up against that Notre Dame pass. And you force Jaden Greyhouse to get open. You force Tobias Merriweather to get open. You say, okay, beat us on the back end. If you can beat us on the back end, we think we've done our job. And that's how they want to live. Now, the other matchup I'm watching is Riley Leonard against the team speed of this Notre Dame defense the way this Duke offense works man they put a lot on Riley Leonard's plate like they do a lot of quick game with him they do a lot of RPO game with him and a lot of what it comes down to for Duke offensively they ask Riley Leonard to make good decisions and quick decisions consistently now Riley Leonard has not seen a defense like Duke to this point Duke is a or, excuse, uh, Riley Leonard has not seen a defense like Notre Dame to this point rather Notre Dame is allowing 49% completion percentage on the year that's top five in the country and they played against Kyle McCord last week played against Brendan Armstrong like they've seen some quarterbacks with the mobility and I think for Notre Dame those windows that Riley Leonard was throwing into earlier they're going to close a little bit quicker those decisions that you were making before you have a little bit less of a shot clock now to make those decisions And so if Riley Leonard is is on the money with these decisions then the Duke offense is built to have answers, like it's built to have options to throw to regardless of what the defense does or have a a run play built in there, obviously with the RPO scheme, they're going to score points if Riley Leonard makes good decisions. Now he's got to make them on time. He can't make the good decision too late because that just ultimately ends up being a bad decision. We'll talk about that. But I think they'll score points if he's on his P's and Q's. That's just the way this offense is built keep an eye on Jalen Calhoun in this game for Duke probably their best wide receiver they have on that roster if they're going to win the football game he has to be a factor in the pass game okay now if Riley Leonard a little bit slow to make his right decision a little bit off the game a little bit in terms of seeing the defense and it's a little bit quick for him and he's making the right decision too late well then that's going to lead to turnovers all right it's going to lead to turnovers at best for Duke It would lead to like a hey let's figure it out kind of conversation on the sideline and if that happens man you have empty possessions against notre dame one you may not see the football for a while based on how notre dame i expect they will run the football with audric Estime and how they get down offensively also you may have to start playing catch up with how i think they're going to score against duke because of what they have on that line of scrimmage so that's going to be very crucial the team speed of notre dame and the decisions and the timeliness of the decisions for Riley Leonard based on what they have in this offense now the differentiator to me in this game is Sam Hartman like a year ago for Notre Dame in this game regardless of who you had playing quarterback you probably if you're Duke could have just sold out for the run game and said quarterback you got to beat us I don't think Duke can live that way against Notre Dame in this football game I think the major key for Sam Hartman now is he can't get greedy and turn it over because there's going to be plays to be made especially off play action when they get that run game going a little bit with Audric estimate there's going to be plays to be made but you got to put it on the money got to be on time and if you're late and you do make that error duke will turn you over they are really good in terms of turning you over they have two takeaways a game right now it's top 20 in the country is the duke defense now sam hartman Knock on wood, if you're a Notre Dame fan, I won't, I won't knock on the table right now because you all have told me you don't like it when we do that during this podcast, uh, but he has not thrown an interception yet. So he's been flawless. Duke has forced a lot of turnovers. If Sam Hartman is able to be the version of Sam Hartman you've seen to this point in the year, if you're a Notre Dame fan, they're going to win this football game and you're going to be able to be really balanced and take advantage of both the run game and the pass game against this Duke defense. So what it comes down to for me, I think Notre Dame's line of scrimmage is just going to be too powerful for for Duke. Like, they've got Joe Wall, who's going to make a ton of money in the NFL here pretty soon. They've got Audric Estime, who's first team all downhill. Like, they're going to pound the rock against Duke. I wholeheartedly believe that. And I think Duke is going to give them a little bit of trouble early. I think they're going to swing hard, especially in that first half. I think they will have something dialed up for them offensively. I think Riley Leonard will give them all they can handle in that first half. But in the second half, man, I think Duke is going to be overmatched from a depth standpoint against that Notre Dame run game. And I think that the pass game eventually does open up for Sam Hartman. Explosive plays happen. So I think Notre Dame wins this game. I think Notre Dame covers. Final score, 27-17 for the Fighting Irish. And think about this now for Notre Dame. If you win this football game on the road against a ranked opponent and you're fighting and scratching and clawing for your college football playoff life you didn't expect this to be the matchup it was going to be or have the hype that it has right now but if you win this football game nice little notch in the resume belt so notre dame think wins this football game but this will be a phenomenal matchup and i think it all comes down to physicality for the fighting irish to eventually get it done on the road in durham north carolina man i'm just i'm just fired up that's even a good game like the slate this week for week five doesn't have the shine that maybe a you know Florida State Clemson had and Notre Dame Ohio State had. But even so, man, there's some really good football games by nature of us having three predictions to make on this very show on a Wednesday. It's usually Prediction Tuesday. Usually we stack Prediction Tuesday for you, but we could not fit it all into the Tuesday show. So we had to go to Wednesday. We appreciate y'all being dialed in. Appreciate y'all liking the video. Appreciate y'all being subscribed to this channel right now. I want to hear from y'all in the live chat. So get in there right now if you have a question, you have a take, you have a concern, whatever it is, get in the live chat right now and we will bring on Nick Break here in just a second to answer those for you. Before we do that though, got to tell you about Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs bringing you the hard count today and Bird Dogs, I will tell you this, they are first team all tailgate. They won't say it, so I will. They are first team all tailgate. What that means is at a tailgate, there's a couple of different ways that plays out for you. Usually you start somewhere in the morning when you break out the grill, maybe you got some beverages maybe you stayed in an RV the night before at the tailgate like I don't know how hardcore you want to be but at the end of the day now you are staying in the same pair of clothes same pair of shorts same polo whatever it is the entirety of the day so you can't be out there looking like a schmuck right you got to look good is the first thing because it's it's a tailgate for goodness sakes you got to bring your best look good feel good play good root good kind of the way this thing goes but you also got to be comfortable because you're tailgating probably for, I would imagine if you're serious, upwards of six hours. If you're a real life tailgater, you're probably going for a, a while there. You got to make sure that you're comfortable. You can't wear this, this non-stretchy fabric. You can't wear something that's going to you know, be too hot in, not breathable like bird dogs, whether it's shorts you want to wear. And if, if, it's, if it's still shorts, whether where you are, we salute y'all. And if you want to wear something with pants, like most of us, and you want to wear something that's going to keep you a little bit more comfortable and, and insulated, got some great options for you in the pants department as well. So, redeem code JD at checkout at birddogs.com. Get you something else for your tailgate, a little hydro flask style water bottle. All right, so you can put whatever you want in there, keep your beverages cold all game day, and you just redeem code JD at checkout with your khakis or your shorts, whatever you get. They'll take care of you with that hydro flask style of water bottle. So, we appreciate Bird Dogs bringing you all the hard count again first team all tailgate you will not want to take your bird dogs off promise so we appreciate bird dogs making it happen here appreciate y'all making it happen here again i say all the time the most important part of this show is y'all we love getting to talk about ball right here but we're just talking into a microphone and a, and a camera with nobody watching if y'all don't make this happen so we appreciate y'all being part of the program and if you just found us welcome it's college football and only college football every single day of the year and we celebrate fall saturdays as they deserve to be celebrated with energy with passion and with juice so thank you all for being a part of that all right now let's break it down with uh what y'all had to say man i don't want to break in uh <laughs> break in welcome in nick break keeper of the queue producer extraordinaire heavy lifter proud of owensboro kentucky hey nick big one tonight big one tonight for the boys for uh uh bke yeah, uh,
0: I've got a kickball game tonight. Yeah, how um, we feeling?
1: Uh, feeling pretty good. You know, I was
0: walking my dog, Zochi this morning. Uh, she's a little Yorkie chihuahua. I was walking in the park, across the street from my apartment, and I kind of tweaked my calf. And that oh, doesn't happen anyway. And gosh, I was like, oh, man. no, here we go. Gosh. I got a big game tonight, playing against a former teammate. It was, wow. It was rough. Rivalry. It is. It's rivalry kind of rivalry. feel to it. I, I can't quite say the team that we're playing it's a little uh okay yeah but yeah it's gonna be a big one tonight
1: uh are you still a start in fantasy like i have you on my i I had you my flex but i'm not sure if with with that information around your calf do i still play oh yeah
0: shout out to our uh spot one of our sponsors price picks i feel like uh you could probably hit the more tonight i'm feeling good even with the calf okay whatever my over under is take it or i almost called you Okay, take it, JD.
1: All right, I love it. I love it, baby. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Bring it on. What are What are the good people saying in the chat, Nick? Well, good mark crowd it looks like
0: mark the point. Says JD, do you think Vandergriff is a starter before the end of the season? That's a very Low probability, J.D., When you say?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a bold claim. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and just eliminate injury out of that equation. Like, obviously, if Carson Beck were to go down, and we hope that doesn't happen, Brock Vandergrift's your guy, more than likely. Um, I think Carson Beck's getting some unnecessary shade. I mean, they haven't really opened it up just yet. You played against South Carolina, and maybe that was the most reliable sample size you have. I think this game against Auburn is going to tell us a lot. But to this point, man, I have not seen anything from Carson Beck that makes me think he's not the right guy for the job. Keep in mind, too, the consistency that he had during fall camp and his spring game and all that. Like, there's a lot of factors that I think need to be taken into account behind closed doors. And I guess that spring game we all got to see. Carson Beck has been in this system, even with Mike Bobo being the new OC, he's been in the system at Georgia for a long time. And so I think the trust factor with him has to be there. Now, he has to still earn it. And I promise you, if he were not the right guy for the job, even if they win the football game, they will go to Brock Vandergrift. But I think Carson Beck will go wire to wire. And I think we're going to see his play continue to trend upward week in and week out with uh, the Georgia offense, I think, continue to get more comfortable under Mike Bobo and maybe even open up a little bit more. They haven't really had to rev the engine too much just yet. But uh, we'll see if that's the case this weekend in Auburn, Alabama.
0: J.D., um... We've got a question from Gavin okay. says JDR Florida state frauds. And then double boy was like, no, JD has them number two in the rankings, So he's not going to say yes to that.
1: Yeah. I, hey, I'm, I'm, if they are frauds then we're fooled. I do not <laughs> think Florida state's a fraud. Uh, that's not to say Florida state can't still lose a game somewhere, like being a fraud and then losing a game, two different things. You can be a really good football team. And I think seeing is believing like I've seen them beat LSU. I've seen them beat Clemson. We saw that one up close and personal, like, That's a really good football team. The way they're built, I don't think has a lot of weaknesses. They played a really good front seven against Clemson and were held to 22 yards and still found a way to win the football game. I love what they have on paper. I love their response muscle with what they're able to do when it's not their best day. Uh, I like Florida State right now a whole lot. I have number two in the country and we're going to see what they do in those games in the back half of the slate against Florida, against Miami, but right now, man, I I think Florida State, it's hard for me to call them anything but one of the best in the country.
0: J.D., I feel like this is another question that I sort of know the answer to. Sean asked, J.D., who's more of a threat uh, to beat to hand Georgia their first loss of the year? Auburn this week or Kentucky, who have flown under the radar?
1: Yeah. I guess if you were to make a case for Auburn, it would be, hey, home spot. They're going to give them all they can handle. Kentucky's on the road. like I say Kentucky is on the road themselves. It's in Athens. I really think that it's got to be Kentucky. I mean, I think just what they have from a personnel standpoint is going to be substantially better than what Auburn has. I get the environment's going to be crazy. I get it's a rivalry atmosphere. But at the end of the day, I think Devin Leary is more capable than a Peyton Thorne or Robbie Ashford. And I think that team just has more identity than where Hugh Freeze is right now in year one. Not saying Auburn won't still give Georgia a little bit of a a run here in the early going. I think you will see a drive or two where it's like, hey, Auburn's kind of... Everyone's kind of cooking here. Hey, Peyton Thorne kind of looks good. Hey, Robbie Asher kind of looks good. Whoever's playing quarterback for them at that point in the game. Um, but at the end of the day, man, I really I do think Kentucky just gives a better test as a whole.
0: Okay. Hey, uh, Burley says Georgia will feel the sting of a loss this year. I don't know Ooh. who it would come to.
1: I guess this Ole point. Miss could be tricky. Miss, we'll see yeah. where they are then. SEC title game, we'll see. But in the regular season, man, we break down every single week individually. But... Yeah, I mean, Georgia, Georgia they, they are not – I want to make sure I say this clearly. Georgia could lose a football game. Mm-hmm. Right now, they're the best team in the country. How's, how's that, Nick? I think that's probably the best, the best way to say it.
0: It's a pretty safe way to say it, and I think a very accurate way to say it as well. So, uh, well done. Uh, J.D., a couple more Let's do questions, it. comments. Rocky Top Tom. Um, I feel like I say old Tom's name about every day, and I love it. Keep coming, Rocky Top Tom. Uh, J.D., wasn't it just awesome to see some old school run the ball, historic game football with Notre Dame and Ohio State last Saturday?
1: Hey, it was great. And what was it? Ten and a half million viewers. Oh yeah, is that what it was? I know that's I know that's, I know that's your uh, that's your program over there with NBC, Nick.
0: I just think NBC Sports has got a good broadcast, and I think their college football is going to be really good there. It was great. Mm-hmm.
1: It was great, man. Yeah, it was. It was nice to see. I mean, if you're an Ohio State fan, you're like, hey, let's. Uh, let's open it up a little bit here. Let's connect a little bit more with the Buka. But even so, like, I thought, I know, I thought thought it was a great game. I loved it. I loved it, and I loved the style of play. And if you like points, maybe you didn't love it. But I think if you're a college football purist and you just love seeing two great teams, two great brands get after it in a historic venue in South Bend, like, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was awesome. I was glad that a lot of the country got to see it. I think that's good for the sport.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it is good because, you know, you you hear college football and you expect that – shootout and i think yeah it's 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 good to show hey look there's some great defenses in college football too i
1: 100 agree nick i think that's a great point a lot of lot of variety a lot of variety oh yeah absolutely um
0: well man all it's what always happens right when i'm about to ask the last question a lot of questions pour in uh but we're gonna get to this one eric jd do you think caleb williams and usc can have a huge day on saturday and can it finally be their catalyst to a run in the college football playoffs
1: Uh, The answer is, I think they will win. I think it will be convincing. I think it will be resounding. I think the defense will make some plays that kind of make you feel a little bit better about that side of the ball. Talked to somebody from USC actually yesterday that talked about how difficult that Arizona State game was from the way the Arizona State game plan for USC. So we'll see with the matchups that Colorado presents for USC on the perimeter, especially Xavier Weaver, not Xavier Worthy, Xavier Weaver and Jimmy Horn Jr. are both going to, be guys that you gotta account for, Shadur Sanders. We know what he is the quarterback position. Like it's it's gonna take a real effort from USC defensively. Like it's not gonna be one of those things where they just roll the ball out there and they got better personnel. Like Colorado can can hurt you offensively if you don't take care of business. So I think they win. I think it's resounding. I don't know that it's like the catalyst for them to get to the college football playoff. I think you probably circled the games against Washington and against Oregon a little bit more, the game against Utah for sure. Like those games probably make me feel better about usc but like the spread is what it is for a reason it's 21 and a half i believe favoring usc they should handle business and we'll learn a lot about the defense this week i'll just say that
0: okay jd uh, really quick uh, from noah what's the game of the year so far
1: man game of the year so far there's a lot of good candidates i mean how crazy we're, we're four weeks through and we have quite a few games that you could point to and say hey is that the game of the year like It sounds kind of wild, but like Colorado TCU, Mm -hmm. dude, that was awesome. Ohio State, Notre Dame down to the last play. The game we were at, Florida State, Clemson, I think all those games deserve some sort of consideration. Uh, I'll be a little bit biased and probably lean right now towards Florida State, Clemson because of what that meant for Florida State and the fact that it went to overtime. Uh, Sleeper pick here, Akron, Indiana. That went to four overtimes four ots baby and everyone was talking about oh the slate's so good but akron indiana's this and that like that was a great game so a lot of games to pick from we'll we'll lean florida state clemson but anticipate there'll be a lot of other good ones the rest of the way is that it for the chat big nick that's it for now man uh we'll see you tomorrow amazing back on the air tomorrow nick I appreciate you brother Mm -hmm. back on the air tomorrow making a pick for texas kansas Kansas going to Austin. It wasn't all that long ago, when Kansas went into Austin, threw up the horns down, and won that football game. Texas obviously done a little bit of work on themselves, looked in the mirror a little bit, and kind of revitalized that operation since that game. But if Texas doesn't take it seriously now, they want to look ahead to Red River, Jalen Daniels and company. They could uh, they could give them some issues. So we'll break that one down and give you a pick tomorrow in that game. So make sure you're tuned in tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern. We'll give you our prediction, talk about who could be on upset alert, as well as a number of other things. We appreciate y'all being tuned in, man. Hey, quick shout-out to the boys in upstate New York. Cornell, big win, upset win in the Yale Bowl. Last-second field goal to take down the Bulldogs. I'll just say, if there was a team they had to beat, that was a game I was glad they won. I'll leave it at that. But shout-out to Jamison Wang. Shout-out to Coach David Archer and the boys getting a big-time win, staying undefeated, homecoming this week against Colgate. Shout out to the, uh, the blue-collar Ivy at Cornell. Appreciate y'all, man. Appreciate y'all being tuned in live on the air tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern. Want to see y'all there. Tell a friend. Bring them in here. Make sure they're subscribed. Make sure you've already liked the video. Over 100 likes yet again. Appreciate y'all for that. I'm Jody Pacquiao. We appreciate y'all. We love y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time. 18- plus.